and welcome to another edition of SNJ in Conversation with me, Tanya Tirauro. And today I'm delighted to have with me to SEND education experts, Anne Heavey, who's the director of Whole School SEND. Hello, Anne. Hi, Tanya. And Anne began as a um, music teacher and she worked at a high level within government advisory groups. Um, and Hannah Maloney. Hello, Hannah. Hi. Hi, and Hannah is a practicing Senko and a dyslexia specialist. She's also a SEND researcher and she's produced several um, national SEND reports that we've also run on Special Needs Jungle. Now, Anne and Hannah, as I said, will be familiar to regular SNJ readers because they've both written for us, uh, very popular articles as well. And they're leading figures in the efforts to improve SEND training in schools. And we're here today to talk about the training materials provided by Whole School SEND, and particularly those aimed at SEND leaders. Um, I've been really happy to be part of the SEND expert reference group inputting into developing a guide for SEND leaders that were written, was written by Helen and by Anne, and it's available now on the SEND gateway. Um, so welcome both. Um, Let's kick off with a, send, um, a tough one. Why is SEND such a mess? And how much of it can be laid at the door of training? Um, because recent reviews of teacher training still show that there isn't enough SEND specific, specific training unless you're on that kind of pathway. Um, and it seems very variable according to um, recent re reviews of it. So Anne, can I ask you first? Yeah, I think it's really important to highlight that we've known for a long time actually that training plays a major part in some of the issues and concerns we've got around the performance of the system for young people identified with SEND. Um, Andrew Carter um, reviewed initial teacher training in 2015 and I think you've just been quoting from his report he highlighted there wasn't enough content and it was far too variable and in 2017 newly qualified teachers reported that supporting pupils in the classroom with SEND was an area of really low confidence. Um, so I think three years later, five years later, yes, we know that's an issue. Um, and I think actually I'm really glad that we're talking about training and teacher preparedness, because whilst there are really important concerns around funding and accountability as well, so much of it comes down to attitude, confidence and understanding that good teaching for all pupils and good teaching for SEND are very similar things, if not the same thing, the vast majority of the time. And certainly our priority at Whole School SEND is really to make sure that every teacher is equipped to deliver the very highest quality teaching possible to every pupil before we start putting in any additional interventions and that we're really confident that the te teaching is inclusive and that we really understand how children are learning that our teaching is working um, but i think there are some structural issues beyond training as well around accountability and the role of leadership within ensuring that those teachers are equipped you know like I said, five, three years later after those reports, mm. why haven't we fixed it? Why haven't we sorted it out? And I think we, we have to talk about leadership within this context rather than just blaming individual teachers who are, you know, they're, they're part of that wider organisation and the accountability levers, um, which I think play into the priorities that maybe um, get the training and how that training is um, perceived. So 
Um, training is a huge issue, but there are other interdependencies with things like leadership and accountability as well, which is why I think we're going to talk about some of these resources today. Uh, Hannah, what's your take? Well, um, I guess mine, mine comes from um, the research that I've done. So when I first uh, became a teacher, I was part of a cohort that was able to do their Masters in Education as part of that PGCE. And I came across the question about, you know, what is the difference between um, VAK, which is visual auditory and kinesthetic learning and, and multiple intelligences. And from that, I really actually opened a bit of a Pandora's box for myself in terms of well, what do we even mean by intelligence? So for me, I think the issue around SEND and confidence with teaching and structures of support within education actually is uh, systemic from the very origins of the creation of the schooling system, um, you know, back, back in 1870 when it was first um, made law that children should go to school. And when we look back at um, 1870 and what was going on then, it's the 19th century. It was a time of um, crossbreeding of animals to try and make the best animal, the concept um, transitioning over to humans and becoming a superhuman. Um, that's going alongside the development of IQ testing and the development of ideologies around eugenics. Um, and that also heavily links in with race and, um, and intellectual abilities from different countries and different people types. And if you watch that and how that develops over the 20th century, and of course we've got World War II, the Holocaust, and we've got um, civil rights in America and, and, and you know, the issues in South Africa. And you look about how, how the concept of peoples, some peoples being better than others, and how that transitions and goes through the education system. We aren't actually a million miles further forward than that. So partly I think we've got issues because our education system is actually it uh, does not represent what we know to be true of human um, intellectual capabilities uh, in terms of the research and the science. The system is outdated. But also, we have another issue in that um, the teachers that are part of this system were either themselves part of the secondary modern grammar um, you know, of the 1950s onwards, um, or, or we are children of people who went through that system. And so the beliefs and mindsets around some are better than others, some have different skill sets than others, and they have more or less value, um, is really well deeply embedded in our psyche. And so when we look at teachers in classrooms, they've either been part of that system and haven't questioned it, or they have been part of that system, they understand that is something that affects the this mindset affects the education system, but they aren't yet able to know what to do because quite frankly, the education sector hasn't caught up with the progression of other sectors like medicine. So when we look at the medical um, advancements over the 20th century and the scientific approach to research and measure of impact um, and the millions and millions and millions of pounds that have been pumped into that system to do that proper research and to see what works and what makes a difference and to identify correctly and carefully what each individual might be experiencing and then finding a solution to that. We simply don't see that happening in the education system in the same way that has happened in other sectors. And then when you look at things like how much autism is costing the UK 
um, economy, autism alone, how much it costs, is well, almost double, I think, the cost of cancer and the, the cost on the economy. So actually we are misplacing our finances and where, where we haven't got the evidence to heavily invest because we haven't done that intense research and this is what makes a difference, we have to a certain extent, but not to the same levels of other sectors. We don't have then the evidence to invest. We don't know what makes a difference and what's worth putting money into. So I think we're still at quite early stages. We say, yes, training need, is, is, an, is a priority and it does need to happen but we're still um, at a pretty basic stage of well what is it that we actually need to, need to be doing and what is reasonable and possible within classroom and is a classroom even the right format for learning for pupils today so mine's sort of a very big response to uh, why are we in such a mess but I think in some respects we've got some quite clear um, pathways of how to go forward and in others I think we're still very behind where we need to be. So, so what you're saying is, is it's not just um, institutional or systemic, it's actually, you know, generational and somebody um, needs to have the authority to stand out of that side of that and say, look, it's the 21st century, it's time to do something different. Yeah, absolutely. And I think from my perspective, the, the way forward um, from me as a Senko, from my, my individual perspective as Senko but representing Senkos across the UK from my perspective the the step we need to get forward to quickly is a radical upskilling of the workforce to assess and identify SEND more quickly and therefore have evidence as to what needs are there and then find solutions for those needs many of those we do know that's not to suggest we don't have knowledge within the system but until we have a crystal clear picture of what children are experiencing and how that is developing and having you know really easy simple quick assessments that make a difference then i think we're still going to be going around in the hamster wheel yeah i mean I've, i have personally never even thought about because I haven't done the kind of research that you've done and that's something that perhaps that we should look more deeply at on uh, especially as jungle in the future um, but one of those ways that we can improve this is by listening to those people who were who were inside the system like like parents and and um, as I said earlier this is something that I've been involved with, with you ladies in on on the group and um, lots of these expert groups forget about the voice of the parent there they're not important they are done too they are part of the problem um but you don't feel that way so Anne, what why was it important for you to be include the parental voice it, it wasn't even an option to consider not including representatives from the family um because whilst our um our name is whole school send which you'd think, oh, that just includes those that are in the school as staff. Um, and certainly some of our funding um, is structured that way. Uh, the school is the community. The school is every person that interacts with it and draws on the community. And everyone plays a role in shaping the experience of school and, and the ethos and the enactment of what goes on. And anything that we put out that doesn't have the input of families and, and of children themselves, um, will be incomplete and will be missing perspectives, missing elements, 
and probably won't have the impact that we want to achieve. So from our point of view, it's a necessary element to achieving a, the strongest output we can. And I, I'm really proud of these, these guides that we've developed together with you. Um, and I think had we not had that representation, they wouldn't have been as rich or as thoughtful. So it shouldn't be a case of forgetting the parent. I think I think even that sometimes is a bit of a polite way of saying, I don't think they're forgotten. I think they're deliberately left out. Um, I think a decision is sometimes made actually not to overcomplicate by forcing us to look at a more nuanced picture. And the family experience mm. reminds us of the person and, and of the, hum the human underneath all of these decisions in a way that if you only have professionals in the room, sometimes it's easy to forget those things. So yeah, it wasn't an option for us. And um, it's something we try and do in all of our projects is make sure there's family representation and, and the, the child as well. I mean, I think that we never before um, during the pandemic, we're seeing how important the parental input is when you're trying to educate children at home. Mm. And with that, I think a really interesting thing we've um, been hearing through the um, through the experience of, of the last few months is where relationships were already strong with families and schools going into the pandemic, they've been strengthened. And it has been a team effort in making sure the child gets the best we possibly can out of this situation. Conversely, where those relationships maybe haven't been in place, it's actually been more difficult because um, I think some of those schools have suddenly had to face up to um, shortcomings and not had the, re the relationship in place to do that and have maybe struggled to um, to deliver what they should have done to that family because they hadn't kind of done the groundwork. So hopefully a big learning coming out of this is those relationships must be prioritised and are really valuable to invest in. Yeah, I think particularly if, if you don't know the circumstances of the children in your class, when you're under lockdown, how do you know what they need to support them, particularly if they're shielding or if they don't have access to, um, to devices to do work. And um, we've heard a lot of this in our survey that, you know, children were expected to do work online when they didn't have access. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's really important. Um, but Hannah, these guides that we've, we've produced, um, well, mainly you and <laughs> Hannah, I've kind of stuck my two penneth in. Um, why were they so badly needed? What, how did you discover that, you know, SEND leaders really didn't know, um, that school leaders really didn't know anything about SEND? Um, well, I think it's lots of factors came together. So um, uh, the, the root of all of the work that I've done um, sort of at, at a national level it was born out of my own frustration in terms of not having enough time to do uh, the SENCO role and also um, experiencing the, the loss of time year on year. Um, and at first I thought that was, um, you know, to do with perhaps me and me not being able to do the job well enough. Um, and of course, you know, you internalize that. And then actually I realized, no, no, it really is not me. I am really struggling. This is what I'm expected to do is impossible. Um, and when I started to talk to about my to my senior leaders around how I needed more time to be able to do that, I faced various barriers within school in terms of finance, awareness of the role, 
Um, and what I really felt I needed was some kind of objective information that I could just bring out that said, look, you know, this is actually what we need to be doing rather than this being a battle of opinions or thoughts or ideologies. Actually, this is what you're we're supposed to be doing as a school. Um, and I um, then uh, joined Facebook groups and to be honest, Senko Facebook but groups have been really, really fundamental in, I think, so many Senko's professional development and support and advice giving. Um, and from, from that realisation that this is actually not just an individual or a school-based level, this is actually a, a national systemic issue. Um, from that, we were then able to put in place some research in Nan and myself, along with um, Dr. Adam Bodison and Dr. Helen Curran, um, created the National Senko Workload Surveys from that we have been able to ascertain some very clear pictures around the battles and structures that are uh, inhibiting senko effectiveness and from those uh, sort of the, the publication and the, the realization of what actually is going on at a national level we were then able to target that strategically so um, within the effective de senko deployment booklet i worked with a team of senkos and a parent to look at five strands which we felt were really preventing senkos um, from being as effective as they could be within schools and then obviously as part of our group um, the expert reference group we worked together on a guide that would help head teachers and senior leaders to effectively um, consider the strengths and areas for development within their school system um, of SEND provision. And I think the power around that is that when you think about um, who, who goes on to become a head teacher, very few, particularly at secondary level, have been a SENCO. So very few head teachers have, um, have had the depth and breadth of experience that SEM provision requires, and therefore they're leading without that detailed um, experience. And also, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe that the national qualification for headship still does not require a head teacher to do any SBND training as part of that qualification. So the guides themselves are actively targeting this deficit of training and experience that exists um, at, at head teacher level and governing body level. Um, and it takes away, in my opinion, the, the, the potential area of conflict between Senko and head teacher about what should or shouldn't be done um, and makes it, you know, um, it's sort of a strategic approach rather than, a, a you know, people's different differing opinions and of course head teachers um, have got huge stresses on them you know balancing budgets and you know Im implicate um, implementing policies and managing the coronavirus situation within their schools but, but you know these aren't simple challenges that head teachers are facing and um, you know in fact in one of our meetings up in London when we were creating this guide I can remember um, one of the contributors saying that, you know when I was a head teacher I barely had time to look at the the asbestos regulations which were regularly put on my desk you know so there's so much that head teachers are going through and trying to unpick and implement if they haven't got the experience and they don't have that guidance then they're simply not able to do it in the way that we you as parents, me as a Senko, us as you know, um, people who want to influence the national picture of SEND would want. So for me, it's about crucially taking away any kind of opinions and barriers and saying this is what we 
the government want you to do and this is how you can reflect on that and develop that within your school. So one of the barriers you just mentioned there is time um, and how has um, how have they been received and and do you have any evidence that um, that send leaders that, that school leaders are suddenly becoming more interested in send? So um, annoyingly um, our launch event was postponed and moved online um, due to COVID-19 thanks COVID um, which um, was unfortunate because we, we hoped to make a bit more of a splash with them when we launched them but um, they have had a warm response and I'm I can share with you a, a, just a, a couple of um, examples as to why I think um, they have they are being used and engaged with so um, since May the middle of May we've been rolling out um, a webinar program at whole school send to respond to um, you know school priorities around SCND during the COVID-19 context and we've had over 650 school leaders senior leaders who are not SENCOs attend those webinars and um, separate school leaders um, which we were really encouraged and surprised by actually um, we, we were kind of heartened to see them kind of taking the time to come and engage with these materials including um, a webinar that um, Hannah um, did for us very kindly on the SENCO deployment guide and we've also sort of been you know reaching out across our regional networks to to speak to to heads and and sort of head teacher networks and one of the things we're seeking to do with these materials particularly the demonstrating inclusion guide is highlight the areas of business as usual within a school that by just reflecting on and tweaking can have a huge impact in the experience of inclusion across the whole school environment and we've kind of made it a little bit easier to see actually this is part of my job so reviewing the curriculum policy is part of my job and if I just bear a few of these things in mind as I'm doing that I'm going to end up with a better policy for more children so we're not making it a separate job we're not making it another thing that's on the desk of those busy head teachers we're trying to kind of show how just adding a few thoughts a few considerations to the to the everyday things that you're doing as a school leader you can make a massive difference and particularly around thinking around behavior policy change in COVID-19 which is something I'm kind of thinking about a lot at the moment and kind of that very understandable need to have clear expectations and routines to maintain safety but making sure that we have reasonable adjustments and really understand what our individual pupils need to be safe and happy at school within that space we've had feedback that the demonstrating inclusion guide has really helped senior leadership teams to explore um, that element and we curated a, a short version of our review suite for COVID-19, which is on the gateway, which includes elements from demonstrating inclusion and the deployment guide to help kind of reflect on your preparedness from September. And those elements around culture and around well-being and um, the relationships within a school um, have been really well received by head teachers that just needed something to help them know where to start. Um, so we'll continue to push them and, and and push engagement but the, the the initial signs are good in the first few months uh, and maybe actually the pandemic has given head teachers more time um you know you're cutting out the commute you're cutting out interruptions so you suddenly get more time to to watch webinars so you know we, they cancelled the, the launch but maybe you know conversely there, there was a positive aspect to it 
Um, but looking at training, the government's just um, published its response to the, the SEND inquiry. And one of the recommendations in the inquiry was so that um, the Nesenka award should be achieved within six months. Now, I think they've kind of got the wrong end of the stick there because they seem to think that it had to be condensed into six months, where I think maybe the thinking was you had to um, start your training and then finish it within six months, which makes a lot more sense. So they've come out and said, no, we're not going to do that. Um, but it seems to me unreasonable to be unqualified essentially in a Senko role for three years. Um, how can we change their mind and, and enable that they, they do understand the point of what was being suggested? Do you want to start, um, Hannah, or shall yeah. I? Yeah, um, I, I think it's really important that we make sure that Senkos are prepared in post when they start. And again, just thinking of the COVID-19 lens, I'm imagining what Senko induction looks like this September for new imposed Senkos that haven't yet got the award when we're dealing with such disruption and a lot of the evidence bases that we'd be drawing on for identification have been really um, upended. I'm sure Hannah can speak on that further in a minute. Um, I think, um, so full declaration, whole school send have been kind of involved with the review of the qualification and we have submitted some proposals to DfE around what we think should happen. Um, but, um, I think I'll, I won't be in any trouble for saying that um, we really need to make sure that um, qualification is taken in a timely fashion and really aligns with the, the, the practical roles that, and, and decisions and, and the strategic leadership um, that Senkos undertake from day one, whether or not they've got the qualification yet. And in, without my whole school send hat on, I'm very also interested in the journey to becoming a Senko and in how other th other qualifications like NPQs, national professional qualifications, help develop that um, understanding of leadership of SEND across the wider um, school leadership picture as well and across the wider workforce, because uh, I don't think we should only rely on the SENCO to be a leader of SEND. Um, but um, I think... I think watch this space and know that some of us are lobbying hard. Hannah, what's your view on the, the Nisenko and, and the, the length of time it, it should be um, taken in before somebody starts? Yeah, well, um, I when I became a Senko, I started my Senko training um, at, at exactly the same time. And from, from my own personal experience and opinion, I think Senko should do that. You know, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be in role without having started your NA Senko qualification. Um, however, um, what I see in the Senko forums, the rationale behind not doing the Senko qualification from day one is often around the level of work required to do the qualification in addition to the normal day job. And this is where the barrier of time becomes so important because if Senkos, and we know um, that, that in, a, in the primary sector, in an average size primary school with average SDN, we know that Senkos are having anything from no time at all to five days a week to do that role. So because of the um, inconsistency in terms of time allocations for Senkos, some Senkos will be able to do that. Um, qualification from the word go because they will be supported with time they will be supported with um, you know their senior leadership and having those days out perhaps some study days at home 
um, you know, it is a meaty qualification and rightly so, but it is demanding. Um, whereas there will be Senkos in some schools who don't have any time to do the job, who don't have any time to do the qualification and who aren't supported in the same way by their senior leaders. So from my perspective, um, I, I don't think, in my mind anyway, there should be any debate about when a Senko should do it. They should do it from the word go. But I think the bigger issue is about how do we take away the barriers that are stopping Senkos from taking mm. it in the first place. So, so the senior leader training um, and the Senko training really do need to, to play in together um, so that um, senior leaders understand the need um, to really? ensure that their Senko is is well trained but so for example I'm, I'm a teacher or I'm a, a trainee and I'm keen to know more about SEND and and it's not on my course um, so is reading a guide going to be enough um, how can I get low-cost interactive training I know you you've just mentioned these webinars which sound fantastic um, and what is a gold standard training well the um, Department for Education has quite um clear standards on um, the quality of CPD that should be in place and a really important element that I think whatever you pursue is um, should be built in is, is having an ongoing relationship with the people you train with and the people providing the training so it's not a one hit kind of half an hour on this and you're sorted magic magic wand it's actually um, you have time to reflect on and refine and review the um the content that you're exposed to and and applying it in real time um from from our point of view we have a few things that might help with that um for example we've got our videos that introduce um, some quite um common areas of scnd which provide a place to start but um i think i think if i if i were a new teacher and i was um thinking i need i need i need need to develop my skill set and my confidence here that the one of the the cheapest and easiest things you could do is um just have a conversation with the child's family that you're thinking you need to increase your uh, skill set around that'll probably be some of the best cpd you'll get um for an immediate context um but within a school you could set up a study group that um, looks at various things in the round and perhaps meets monthly to re to to read and absorb something together maybe have some input maybe from one of our videos, maybe from somewhere else, and then reflect on how you can apply it in practice. So you're contextualizing it to your classroom and to your, to your lesson. But I've always thought that the lowest cost um, training you can, you can get is um, usually having a phone call or a cup of tea with a family and, and just understanding the child more fully. Um, Hannah, what do you think? Yeah, I really like that suggestion about talking yeah. to the family. Um, I think, um, First of all, any teacher that is questioning how they can develop their uh, inclusive teaching practice needs to be fully celebrated. Um, because I think, I don't have any evidence for this, but I, I feel that the teachers who don't take inclusion as seriously are perhaps ones who feel like when they try something, it doesn't make a difference, or they tried it once and it didn't work. Um, and I think that that can then build in this sense of not feeling knowledgeable or there isn't anything that really makes a difference. So why try? 
and I, I wouldn't say that there's you know a, only a small percentage of teachers that might feel like that but I do think having the confidence um, and perhaps the braveness to say I need help is fundamental in in the first step of actually developing a teaching practice so I would say go as, as Anne said speak to the family but also speak to the Senko they are incredibly busy but um, they will make time for you because I tell you what, I'm run off my feet all day, every day, but any time a teacher wants to talk to me about SEND is playing into my favourite things to talk about. So I'll happily do that. Um, so speak to the Senko. As Anne said, there's plenty of training, you know, go to Nason, go to Whole School SEND. There is, there is, uh, there's plenty of advice and guidance. There are parents out there who are taking matters into their own hand and um and training teachers through resources that they're creating so there's um a lady called claire on twitter who does adhd support um, and there's obviously lots of charities tourette's action um autism charities so in a way there is so much to learn sometimes it can be difficult to um to actually find what what it is you want to learn because there's so much that you can sort of you know you have to search through for it well that's I what i mean for, about the gold standard though you yeah know, how do you sort what what is actually going to be useful from you know just something that's that that is hasn't been well thought through or or isn't backed by evidence and i think that really um comes back to the point that i made at the beginning is that we are still well behind the curve in terms of what works. So when you think about quality first teaching, this phrase that's used very regularly um, to describe, uh, you know, what should be happening in classrooms, actually there is no definitive guide on what quality first teaching actually is. And even when uh, within our own individual spheres as SENCOs, we might be talking about what quality first teaching looks like so for example you know I often saying to my teachers put keywords on the board it's so important to have keywords on the board and that's one of my sort of um, you know benchmarks if you like is how I sort of assessing to see whether teachers are being inclusive in their practice even I don't know what difference keywords actually make in a very rigorous um, you know detailed study on the effect of keywords on the board so actually I think you know we've got these lovely ideas of what quality first teaching might look like but until we have absolutely crystal clear evidence to say you know when you put keywords on the board it makes x amount of difference to the children in that class and whether that's possible to do I don't know but I still think we could get because every child is measuring that <laughs> Um, but you know, it, when you do, when you put keywords on the board, it is likely to make this much difference towards an, an exam grade over time, then teachers will start to say, okay, um, I will do it. It's worth me doing it. And you know, when I, when I walk around schools, um, and I, and I'm looking for things like keywords and I don't always see it. And I think about, well, it's not that hard to put keywords on the board. So why aren't teachers doing it? consistently for me it's about just not, uh, not developing good enough habits it's about habits it's not massively expensive to put a keyword on the board it's not incredibly taxing in terms of planning to put a keyword on the board you simply write a word on the board um, but you know there's no cost to that but there isn't the habit ingrained in people to do that and I think that's where we need to get to in terms of quality first teaching we need to, to explicitly um, develop those good habits 
and have evidence behind why we do those habits in the first place. So th there is a lot of training out there, as you said. Um, where is Whole School Send going next? Um, how is it going to be involved in you know, building learning for, the, for, for the, a pandemic hit nation? And how are you involving and still reaching parents? And, um, you know, and, and what about this splendid model? So how is Whole School Send developing? So we are continuing to kind of reach out across our regions. So we've just expanded our regional team to add a third person to each team, um, which is really exciting actually, because um, it gives us more capacity to support and to engage with local networks. So one of the key things that our regional leads do is identify local groups of parents, local um, charities, etc., that can help us spread that good practice back into schools so we'll continue to although our events are online now we'll continue to make sure that we have parental representation at our events online and also feeding into our resource production so we're about to start um, construction of a, a classroom teachers send handbook to help flesh out some of these issues mm -hmm. around what is high quality teaching and we've got parents and young people involved in drafting that um, to make sure it um, again captures the full experience and um, a suite of ITT resources initial teacher training resources um, to kind of address what we talked about earlier with the variability in um, support that's available which are going to all of that's going to be open access so whether or not um, you have them built into your course you'll be able to access them and we'll have parents and, and as I said children feeding into the construction as well as feeding back on on the design of those and we're also um, creating a suite of um, resources to support mainstream schools to be more inclusive for autistic people, including um, autistic family members and autistic staff, as well as um, children, because that's um, an area we're very concerned about, particularly secondary mainstreams, um, in that the, there's so much going on in, in the wider kind of larger environment of a mainstream secondary school that needs to be taken into account. And I think that's one of the things we're trying to encourage more thoughts around. It's not just inclusion for the youngster that's in front of you right now. It's inclusion for the whole community that you serve and engage with and former students as well as potential students and, and their families. Um, so we're working on that. And I think we're just really key, keen to kind of keep empowering um, any stakeholder that wants to improve things to draw on our resources so if we have ideas on how we can support families better through our outputs we'd love to hear them um, our favorite and most I think most um, effective resource to date is a leaflet we created um, with children and parents um, around asking about SEM provision in school and it's, it's called Making Conversations Count. And it provides families with questions to ask a school around the provision that's in place for their child. And it was a very low cost um, output, but it is created an expectation in schools that families are really well equipped to ask probing questions and expect a decent answer. Um, so I think we'll continue to create outputs like that that help kind of raise the expectations in schools to be more transparent and have that two-way engagement with their families in a meaningful way. It's been a really interesting discussion today and it's really interesting to hear all the history around um, around scent and, and we'd like to hear more about that. 
and um, I'd like to see you both back writing for us in, in the autumn as well. So um, thank you both again for joining us and, and if there's anyone else you think we should be hearing from on SNJ in conversation, do let us know. So for now, Hannah and Anne, thanks very much. <laughs>